Hello and welcome to our next episode of What We Are All About. The idea for this podcast came from going through life and figuring things out step by step. In societies that tell you to grow faster, the question comes up if there can be different approaches to life and its pace. Come along with us. To us, it's the journey that counts the most. And welcome to our next episode of What We Are All About. This is Sorbelin. And Steve. Today we decided to talk about just anything that comes into our mind because we've been talking a little bit about the next episode and things we might like to touch up on. And we were kind of starting to talk about speech and how many things become so staged nowadays in this Instagram world where you have so much time to think about things and to really sort of make that frame for your picture how it's meant to fit in and then we started talking about the academic pathways and how we both seem to struggle with that a little bit because we really like to just talk in the moment about certain topics and then just flow with it rather than having thought about it too much and then it comes across as if we just prepared a little paper and just read read off it so to not make that happen we try to just not plan too much for today which we haven't really done in the other episodes but once you kind of get rolling with something then you think oh now i have to really prepare something and then like i think No matter where, like whenever teachers plan too many things, I always feel I can tell. And also, or if you go to some sort of show or, you know, always if you can interact with the people in front of you and learn how to communicate with also like, yeah, if it's a whole class or if it's a big, big crowd or you always feel if the person is up for connecting or if it's just something you learned by heart beforehand the weeks before and you had so much time to prepare it. it often loses some genuine feeling to it what do you think about that steve yeah when you say teachers sometimes have things too rigidly planned out are you referring to yoga teachers um also <laughs> but i was also just meaning in general like in in uni as well like my teachers there if they just read their script that was so boring and they didn't have a feeling for that particular class they weren't interested and yeah i mean also in yoga i think if there's too much of a fancy flow planned and you you don't really like see the people in front of you i also miss that then because that's the beauty I think of going to yoga class and being able to be seen by your teacher and to have this conversation in that sort of sense that lots of people like to more call it a guide so someone who guides you through that flow can adjust according to whatever the mood is that day whatever yeah the energy is like you know and that makes the beauty of it so you never really 
completely do the same class, just sort of adjust. And I think to me that's harder than just planning it out and doing basically a YouTube video and just doing your thing and your own practice, you know? So Yeah. I mean it comes yeah, it comes from university and also yoga teaching as well because that's a big part of my day to day life I guess but yeah, I think in the instance of yoga classes, it makes a lot of sense to want to be seen by the teacher for very practical reasons because they can offer you feedback and actually uh, spend time with you and guide you. So like, yeah. you definitely hope that the teacher is alert enough to notice you and what you do in the class so that it's actually um, you're working with them. Yeah. And if you like, as you want to improve, that's why you're there. But in the in the discussion, yeah, it's of, like a conversation, you know. Yeah. Like I am as well, of course. If I'm a student or a teacher, both sides are more challenged if we interact somehow, you know? Yeah, well, I was, it's almost like that is the entire point of the yoga class. It's not like they say, um, you know, here's a yoga demonstration. Mm-hmm. Like a yeah. class kind of suggests that it's a give and take. Yeah. And it's like, a yeah, basically you're cooperating with the teacher. Yeah. And then um, I was thinking in the, in the example of a music show or something like that. It's nice. It's nice to feel like you're being seen by the performer for some sort of like deeper elemental reason. Yeah. Because you want to believe that um, someone or people that you admire so much also see you and you mean something to them, mm-hmm. so you can connect with them as well. It's not like you like you don't need to be seen by them. It's not like it's actually like a cooperative performance. Yeah. Like you're just watching it or listening to it even, but it it feels so amazing to be when you think that the performer actually really recognizes where they are in that moment and it's not just like another date in their tour yeah i think at some point that's what put me off a little bit like going to shows and stuff because i start to feel as i got older like obviously in my teens i was so into going to concerts mm-hmm. you know like every single yeah. one was like this absolutely invigorating experience but then as i've gotten older it's almost like uh that initial excitement or the feeling the desire to go to any show is kind of gone now because well, I don't know, maybe it's for other reasons as I grow older, like I get into other things, but I often feel when I go to a show, it feels too programmed for me now. Yeah. Like I feel like most performers really don't see the crowd. And I wonder if that comes from the fact that maybe they're just not paid enough or something. So like, it's just too much work on the tour. It's too exhausting. Yeah. And, they, and they're kind of like through this exhaustion, they're kind of stripped of energy that would usually turn this like mundane show into something truly special where they could like let go of their stress and just get into the music. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like, yeah, it's like when, when people go into autopilot mode because you've done it so many times Yeah. and you just think, oh, I'll just do what I always do. Yeah. And like lots of people talk about like in the, in the terms of mastering something as well, I've heard that lately like yeah at some point you did it so many times that you just go into autopilot but I think the beauty comes from being in that moment and being to able being able to react in that moment to whoever is in front of you and that's like it's like being a connector as well when you perform or when you're any sort of in front of gathering or whatever then being a connector is always a good thing like I don't know, this is not a proper term, but like, yeah, that's definitely a big, big factor to it, I think. And also actually in my 
musicology university there were some people that were actually struggling with that too because lots of them already had done some bigger tours and things like that and just they were saying as well how it feels like becoming a puppet if you go to so many places and then yeah. you're just feeling like you're just doing the same thing every night and I yeah. guess being present and really actually taking in your environment that would probably help with that even though you might play the same songs but yeah whenever I I went to a show and there was this moment of that person coming through then I always feel that connection and then I'm like excited about it and yeah. that's when I want to create more music myself because I'm like okay that that person I guess it's also goes into that like factor of vulnerability right like um there's been a lot of talk about vulnerability lately and I also think that's that's definitely a point to it if if a person on stage or wherever it is if you can be vulnerable and also show some of your human sides kind of and not try to be that picture perfect instagram story um that's when people can connect to you easier yeah and that's a whole point to it <laughs> yeah i think i guess that's why people like so much to see musicians on stage mess up you know make a mistake yeah, absolutely because they react in such a human yes. way like it's totally unplanned and it reminds it's you that you're not thing. it reminds you that you're not just seeing a video playback yes. of something they've rehearsed a billion times yeah yeah that's such a good it, example yeah their person the personality shines right through and like sometimes it's like it's especially nice if they kind of laugh it off you know mm -hmm. if it's a joke even if yeah, even if they get really angry it's kind of like exciting to see what happens i was just thinking actually of you and matt <laughs> yeah at a show like completely messing up the song but you were both like laughing so lovingly and just having a a cute moment together yeah that was so amazing to see and then you like suddenly have that connection like and that yeah compassionate feeling towards yeah. that person there yeah. and that barrier of like stage and you is like also broken down a yeah. little bit and you think like oh okay cool they're they can mess up too yeah i think it's sort of like it's, it's amazing how many parallels you can draw between different fields in life you know for Absolutely. example you can i can also like see and um, this illustrate if you think about if you imagine a band that's played so many shows that like the instances where they mess up are so few and far between that it almost never happens. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's too perfect all the time. It's almost a bit like, that's almost like, uh, like the Disney world of concerts, you know, like, yeah. you know, we all know about this like weird, like sort of American Disney world experience when you go in and everyone's like, Hey, like, Absolutely. nice to see you. How's your day yeah. going? Like, it, yeah, it should be nice, but it's kind of so perfectly practiced that it's, it's inhumane now. Yeah. And it's like robotic and it loses all of the human charm. Yes. It's almost like, that's kind of the same for music and for any other kind of um, uh, communication, you know, like mm -hmm. whether it's a whether it's a class or even a conversation in a coffee shop with a barista. If yeah. it's too well rehearsed, it's basically actually fake because they're because the person on the other end isn't waiting for any sort of stimuli to come from you. They're just doing what they do, and that's it. Yeah. And then there's no like you are you are of no need to them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And that feeling to be seen as well, yeah. like, that's definitely a big one to that as well. When I have that feeling, oh, someone recognizes me in like a crowd or a class or, and even if that's like for a performance, like the whole crowd 
then you're this whole crowd that suddenly is seen, you know? It's yeah. Like, obviously, I spend like a lot of time thinking about these things because I'm often on the other end because mm -hmm. I, I, I do play shows semi-frequently. And, um, but it still, I would say, falls into the realm of hobby because we don't earn money from it and I don't depend on it to mm -hmm. pay my, my rent. So uh, I probably have quite different feelings attached to it, like different stresses or different, or like a lack of stress, so to speak, because yeah. I just do it. It's basically like a form of like expression and relaxation. But again, I wouldn't call it a hobby because it's your passion. Well, so it's like a, pa it's like a know, hobby I'm passionate about. You, you chose and at some points not to have it like a a money-making path, shall we say, because you wanted to keep that freedom. Yeah, no, of course. And that creativity in that sense. Yes, yeah, so, but the, the point I'm trying to get to is, is that because I don't rely on any sort of money from it to live, I feel like I'm not so stressed, stressed out about the outcome of the music. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, like, um, you know, there's all the bands that we love so much and the only reason we know about them is because they're like a professional touring band yeah. and therefore it's their career so they have all the money stress like acquainted to it absolutely so yeah. i wonder like it must be really hard work for these for these people uh, for these girls and guys in these bands to kind of remain easygoing and like communicative to to their audiences because it's like their job you know and it's absolutely. And, it, and it needs yeah. to be well rehearsed and it needs to be repetitive enough so yeah. that there's an income from it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's like, we need them to tour like a crazy amount so that they can stay doing what we love them doing. Yeah. But at the same time, we want like such raw, real experiences from them. So it's, it's a really hard absolutely. balance to strike for them, no, I presume. And like we said, you know, like you can't play different songs and just improvise every song like every night because again, like we, like you said, like, you do want to see the songs that you really enjoyed on the album yeah. and chances are that's most people in the other cities too so like yeah it's it's more that those yeah those little in between moments i guess as well and also connecting this whole performing yoga teaching you know again when it when yoga teaching or let's say guiding people through a flow or a class when that suddenly becomes a performance, then it's not a conversation yeah, anymore. Totally. It's not about, yeah, it can't be a good show if it's really well rehearsed, because sometimes I guess that's what's necessary. And yeah, in Disney World, it's definitely what people want. One wonders what could be done to kind of inspire more human performances. I'm going back to like the music example again. Yeah. What could be done to kind of bring about the occurrence of more of these like really, really pleasant shows where you see the human side coming through. I wonder mm. if the musicians didn't have to tour quite as much. For example, maybe if like gigs were more expensive to go to, I know they're quite expensive as they are, but if, if, if musicians were allowed to make more money off singular shows, they could play less shows in the tour and therefore retain more energy or they could have bigger breaks between shows. So by the time they get back, say like you do gig number one, you actually have three days off yeah. and then it's like gig two. Yeah. So that tour is much more spread out. Of course, it's more yeah, expensive this way, but yeah. Maybe they would retain more of like a pure energy. Yeah, know? I mean, like, we talk about this a lot as well. And in a way, like, two musicians are set up to have a burnout at some point. Yeah. Like, and I think more people are talking about this nowadays as well and say how intense it is. And I'm not saying like, you know, the shows are amazing and they're fun, but you're you're right. I think, yeah, this whole... 
the whole music industry setup is really tricky to make money in a in a conscious <laughs> a bit slower way I guess yeah. what we like to talk about a yeah. lot like how can you take it at a slow pace yeah. and yeah still make it your passionate career yeah it's definitely a question and yeah that's also I guess why you decided to do that as a side project so you can keep those freedoms and play the shows that you like yeah. to play and it's a tricky one for sure yeah it's really tricky at some point I realized that it was actually like the, the pleasure of making music and being involved in the creation of music is a very different thing than actually making money from said music mm -hmm. so I think it's almost a bizarre thing because you know in this day and age we're kind of told that I think it's a really great thing that we're told that we can succeed in whatever we put our mind to so there's like a million and one different career paths and it's like the message often is um, do try and do whatever you want to do and if you put enough work into it it's, it's possible and that's like a really really nice message and I, and I totally support that but the problem is is that um, because we're all so picky about our futures and our careers and stuff like that that some of the options we choose are, are so niche in a way that it's very difficult to actually make a living off that one thing. Yeah. Like if you think about it, like hundreds of years back, I guess, like everyone was just trying to survive. So like the point of any job you did was probably just simply putting food in your table or like creating a roof over your head at night. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of very general, like everyone was doing the same thing. And of course, if you just put in the work, then, then you live. Yeah. But now there's so many million options that, you know, I guess if you want to play it, so somebody would tell you you can do whatever you want to do but if you specialize in like the most unbelievably abstract type of music like is it misleading to suggest to you that you can make a living off it is it like setting you up for like a really difficult life if you mm -hmm. if what you do is so abstract that you have like a niche audience of 2,000 people worldwide and if you're told that you don't don't spread your energy just focus mm -hmm. on this one thing don't give up the ghost that's kind of crazy because it might never work out because you literally have 2,000 people that might ever buy your music. But then if you're doing it for the right reasons, then it doesn't really matter how big your audience is. So, you know, if, if you enjoy making it, like you always say as well, and not care so much about what the end result sort of gives you, how the outside world then gives you credit for it, then I think you should definitely make this niche music, of course. If that brings you joy and you you really love that niche music, then you should continue making it for sure. There's always something to it. If yeah, and especially if it's like let's say two thousand people all over the world, that would be two thousand enough for sure. Yeah, I think my personal path through my twenties into my thirties and my relationship to music was quite confusing because um, I started. Pl I was so empowered. By when I discovered the basics, I was so empowered in the beginning by this notion that, oh, I can actually leave behind my worries and focus on making music and maybe that will work out for me now. Like I have this new passion mm -hmm. and this is finally the career I've been looking for. It's fantastic and it was very liberating. Yeah. And that really gave me strength to sort of plow through the next 10 years, not worrying about the finances, but also believing if I tried hard enough, the finances would come, even though that wasn't my main concern. Mm -hmm. um, but at some point, actually, like the tables flipped. And then I realized that the worry of making, well, suddenly the dependence on money coming from the music became like a prison mm -hmm. as opposed to being like a liberating force. Yeah. So sometimes I was in the position when I was like turning 30, like, oh, 
this empowering thing with music that I have here is now turning its back on me because now I need to make money from it. Yeah. And that actually killed the music and it just became so stressful in my own head. Yeah. So I actually had to, like, ironically enough, walk away from music a little bit and say, I don't, I, I don't want to rely on music for, for money now. Yeah. So I had to find a new path, which ended up being coffee. And making money through coffee allowed me to return to music and just do it for fun. Yeah. And then since I've done it for 10 years by this point, um, I was comfortable enough yeah. making it for fun and, and just for fun. For the reason you initially started making it. Like, yeah, exactly. And enjoying yeah. playing music. Yeah, yeah. it was actually the, the, the original thing was the enjoyment of just simply playing. Yeah. Then it turned out to be like, a, oh man, I can actually make, maybe I can make money from this. Yeah. So it morphed at some point and I didn't realize it. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you always say as well, like knowing that you sometimes decided against a music career is I think is really empowering feeling to know that there were parts of your career because you were playing big shows at some point and had a manager and things like that. Just to know that deep down, I guess all of you knew that it would just add a different factor to your passion if you were relying on it for money as well. Yeah. So, yeah. When, I guess it's in all creative arts as well, when it suddenly becomes your career and then everyone wants to just see numbers and results. Yeah. And then again, it's more like the goal chasing rather than yeah, yeah, totally. the journey. It's a whole different idea behind it. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you have some, since we talk about so much about music now, you've got some new music coming out as well, I think. Yeah, well, I'm working on some tracks now, which um, quite different direction than before. They include some saxophone. Yeah, nice. So it's like, sounds a bit more, I don't want to say jazzy, because the rhythms aren't jazzy, but it has yeah. this kind of jazz feel to it. It's more organic, piano and stuff like that, yeah. A little bit like our intro song maybe as well. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. our jingle was uh, something I whipped up in 15 minutes yeah. after being, I was sort of editing another track of mine for God knows how long, like sort of weeks and weeks. And so I sort of like edited it into the ground, to be honest. And it just became so frustrating that when, when you suggested, oh, maybe Steve, you can write a jingle to this uh, podcast. I just opened up this this um, kind of sax instrument and just started jamming out. And I just, I kind of thought that it was a bit silly in a way. And then you said you liked it. So I listened back to it with a different perspective, like, kind of trying to take it seriously and realize mm-hmm. that oh it's actually quite cool you know so that um kind of got me thinking maybe i should just write some more saxophone based tunes yeah, and then uh, my uncle actually plays sax back in aberdeen and he's been doing this for oh 30 40 years and he's fantastic so i kind of programmed these sax parts you know using a logic thing yeah so it's like a software instrument just kind of wrote some simple motifs but tried to make something interesting exported the file sent it to my uncle dave and he actually recorded it with his um, beautiful sax and sent me the sent me the files back and I'm gonna spend the next few days editing that I think. I got to hear some of it already and I'm really excited about the new songs for sure. Yeah, definitely have a listen to it. We'll keep you updated about new some songs coming out and I'll also link all Steve's music projects in the show notes. So oh, thank feel you. Free to check it out. Thank you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Um, yeah, cool. Uh, what we touched upon last week um, was about maybe talking about our favorite lockdown food. 
Should we do that now, maybe? Yeah, just bread and butter. Uh, no. Burritos. <laughs> I think that, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, bread and butter was already like, like a, you know, like bread and butter, like sourdough bread toasted. Um, we have in Berlin, there's this amazing bakery called... Brot ist Gold. Brot ist Gold, exactly. So Not to be confused with Zeit Gold, the accountants, <laughs> or Zeit für Brot. Nobody else will get that. But yeah. yeah, if you're based in Berlin, definitely check out Brot ist Gold. They're amazing, amazing, amazing. They have um, sourdough rye bread and what else? Did spelt, spelt yeah. um, sourdough where they like soak the spelt. So it's like sprouted spelt, I think, something yeah. like that. Um, available Thursday to Sunday. Yeah, so good. Definitely check that out if you're um, living in Berlin or sometimes are in Berlin. Anyway, so that like toasted sourdough and butter, I'd say that was already a favorite of ours before. To a lifesaver. <laughs> lifesaver for sure. And just so nice with a black coffee in the morning. Yeah. But no, yeah, lockdown food. Side note, it's vegan butter, of course. Oh yes, it's all plant-based. Yeah. Steve uh, joined us now with eating plant-based, so that's really cool. Yeah. Joined me. <laughs> yeah, thanks to the likes of um, Smoky Greens Oh yeah. and Stranero in Berlin. Oh, we like, need the to journey's have been a pretty whole, smooth. We need to have a whole different episode on our favorite foods. Let us know if you're interested in food places and we'll swing some places. I mean, yeah. I guess now you mentioned some. Are you up for sharing the recipe of our favorite lockdown food? Yeah, I'll just start rattle through it quickly. So yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, it's Mexican burritos. Um, so again. it all started like a bit before lockdown, I guess, because I was like... That's when the prototype was born, yeah. Yeah, I had a cold and then I, for some reason, just asked Steve to buy those ingredients and slam something together and he made an epic recipe out of it, so... Yeah, I feel like it's a pretty simple recipe, but I think the, the curry powder is the real kind of uh, game-changer. So That's a secret ingredients, which I wouldn't have thought about. Yeah, totally. I thought about the raw ingredients, but Steve made it magic. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that... Is that a tip from my mum? That is perhaps a tip from from mum, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, so it's basically based on uh, short corn brown rice, kidney beans, black beans, sweet corn, red onions, jalapenos if they take your fancy. Vegan mayonnaise is really good with it too. Um, and it's... Yeah, so start at the start, what do you do? So I just of course put the rice on first. Mm -hmm. Leave it... Um, if we think about it in the morning, we'll soak the rice and then wash the rice and then it takes less time to cook. Yeah, so basically we use like a cup of rice sort of boil it so that it, uh, the end result is nice and moist and not too wet and then in the meantime you take a frying pan and you start to gently fry two cans of kidney beans one can of black beans and one to two cans of sweet corn do you Slowly. do the onions first? I just do it the same time okay yeah just at the same time because it's, right. it's in the pan for like 20 minutes so everything becomes like supple anyway yeah yeah just leave everything to fizzle away um, and then I add probably overall two teaspoons of curry powder. It can be mild or spicy. It's better to say mild or sharp, but you know, stick to one language. Mm -hmm. So mild or spicy. And then one to two teaspoons of smoked paprika. This is super tasty. It gives it that real like barbecue vibe. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Like a good amount of salt to, to season it. 
Um, that's that's pretty much it for the for the main mix. Oh, of course, there's the um, what's tomato mark in English again? Now I've totally forgotten. Um, tomato puree. Yeah, so I put some tomato puree into the mix too because that really glues it together and gives it this really fruity kind of Mediterranean feel to it. Even though it's a Mexican-based dish, of course, Absolutely. but it gives it this almost like Italian kind of vibe to yeah. it. I put a good amount in, so probably I think it's like a 150 gram jar, mm -hmm. which equates to like three big tablespoons, I would say. Yeah. And just leave that to basically saute for 20 minutes. In the meantime, the rice should be readying itself. So when, um, when, you're, when your burrito mix of all the beans and whatnot is, is looking like sort of slightly golden and just like, you know, thoroughly cooked, the rice should be ready. And then just do your, uh, your fajita wraps on the side and make them nice and soft. And then just get to work, just, you know. So what do we, we often like to either make our homemade uh, plant-based mayonnaise or lately we've been just buying some plant-based mayonnaise. Gorging on the um, Alnatura vegan mayo. Exactly. Yeah, it's really good. I'm sure that Lee knows about it. Probably does. Yeah. So you put some of that on, then you put the bean and rice mix that you all mix together. Oh yeah, there's the guacamole as well, Exactly, of and yeah. then you add some guacamole on top, yeah. um, which we like to just make with lots of well, avocados and lots of lemon juice or lime juice and, and salt, yeah. some salt and that's about it. Yeah, just make it like quite lemony is good because it really adds a bit of a kind of zing and contrast to the burrito mix, which is quite like deep and dark flavoured. So luckily we've been able to get most of the ingredients not so much avocados, ripe avocados the whole time through, but for most of the time. Yeah. Um, but the other ingredients luckily stayed in the stores the whole time through. And it's really, really easy to make, so feel free to give it a try and maybe send us a photo of it or something. Because it's so, so tasty and it's so simple. Yeah, just get like a good organic curry powder, because I think that's the real yeah. deal breaker if you don't. And a good smoky paprika. Yeah. Like if you if you get poor quality spices, it'll just taste weird. I think yeah, they need absolutely. to be really good. Yeah. So just pay that the extra few cents and get a tasty one. Definitely. Right, cool. I think we're maybe already at the end of today's episode. Completely unplanned what we would like to talk about, but I think it was quite interesting also to connect more like our different fields of work and passion and things like that. So thank you everyone for listening and see you next time. Yeah, thanks a lot.